Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast and radio show for the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Ariel Frame. And I'm your co-host, Joyla Ferlano. And tonight we're joined by Ida Parvizi, who is a second-year master's student in biology. Welcome, Ida. Thanks for having me. Hey, Ida. Glad to have you here after all these months of coming by and telling you about GradCast. Finally managed to get you on the show. So now that you're here, why don't you tell us a little bit about your work and who you work for? So um, thank you for so much for having me. Thank you so much for begging me so much to come on the show. Um, I'm in Dr. Jeremy McNeil's lab, and I work on the true army war moths. Um, yeah, I just want to keep it really general. Then you guys can kind of uh, pick at me. Cool. Why don't Why don't we start with uh, what What's this moth look like? What What kind of can kind of orient people to what this animal looks like? Um, you mean like descriptive, like a yeah? Is it big? Is it small? Um, do you house them at home? At, where Where do you have them? Um, you can find them anywhere, really. I mean, um, they are migratory species. So um, what happens is that um, they respond to short day and low temperature. And what happens is basically they migrate from south all the way to Canada in during the spring. And when, once fall comes about, they travel southward um, back down to the warmer area. So you got your net out and you go out and catch them? No, I have traps outside. So I have little traps with little pheromones, which are this, I guess you can say it's like a perfume, um, which attracts the males. It's the same sex pheromone that the female uses to attract the male. So I kind of put that in a little trap and they fly to it. And then I collect them every morning. And uh, for the females, I have this lamp that basically is on top of a little jar. You you, you catch moths with a lamp? Yeah. I mean, I don't catch. But I mean... That's pretty glorious. No, come on. They're, they're attracted to the lamp. And uh, so the female flies to the lamp. And once she hits it, she just kind of falls down into a bucket. And I just, you know, check the bucket for the Un- Unhurt, presumably. Yeah. So... Yeah. Are you capturing these right here in London? or? Yeah, so um, it's in ESW, um, uh, which is university's farm. That's how I <laughs> refer to ESW. Um, but yeah, I have my traps out there, and that's every morning I have to check them to see. Is that is that where we have the barbecue? Yeah, we do. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And how, how many do you catch, like, on a daily basis? So this year it wasn't that many. Like, last year um, there was a lot. So like in one night we would catch so many, but this year it hasn't been too many. I guess it depends on the year itself. Like it just, it fluctuates with every year. So how many are you hoping to get for your project? Um, so I've already caught the ones that I need over the summer, but um, I didn't catch t- too many. Like I was hoping to at least get 20, but it's not 20. So what happens with my project is I'm sort of only looking for at the spring immigrants. So yeah, so I didn't get, catch that many. Okay. Yeah. Um, just wondering, why why are they called true army worm moths? Well, the army part, it comes from the fact that they, they migrate as like a pack. So it's like an army of them and they just show up. Like it's just like all at once. So yeah, but right. the warm part, I'm not sure about. It almost <laughs> makes me wonder like if they do that because it's more likely to survive. They have to, like, get a bunch of them. I mean, that's quite a distance that they, they yeah. travel, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not too sure about it. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how did you become interested in this type of work? It seems very specific. Yeah, so um, during my last year of undergrad, I took Dr. McNeil's chemical ecology course, and I realized that I really liked um, what he talked about in class, and I kind of... Uh, looked more into his research and then I saw I really like the behavior behavioral aspect of his work and that's kind of how I was drawn to uh, Dr. McNeil to work with Dr. McNeil okay and then once I got to talk to him he kind of we just you know sat down and talked about projects potential projects and yeah that's how I came about my project so you're collecting these moths and what exactly are you doing with them so I'm collecting them, and basically what I do is I bring them into the lab, and we have a lab colony of these moths already, and I take the male, and I mate him with a female. After they're done mating, I take the female, and I dissect her, and take the spermatophore, which is just like this little package, I guess you can think of, that the male gives to the female, and I take that and look for isotope, take it for isotope analysis. Okay. Specifically for like deuterium. So what what is your overall objective? My overall objective actually comes from whether we can use spermatophore to find the natal origin of a male um, based on the deuterium level of his spermatophore. And deuterium is just basically like a heavier element of hydrogen. Yeah. So if you so before, um, if you take their um, wings and um, analyze their isotope level, like deuterium level, you would know what region they're coming from because of the isoscape. So it's like a paper that Dr. McNeil, Dr. Hobson, and Kyle, which was the master student before me, they worked on. And um, yeah, so they made an isoscape and which just tells you what the levels of deuterium are when you're coming up on latitude. And yeah, and then by analyzing the deuterium in their wing, you can basically see what region they're, they originate from. So we just want to see if we can do the same thing using a spermatophore. And so how specific of a region can you test for? Um, it, goes, it goes by... How do I answer this question? Maybe maybe you could, if it's quite south, you might be able to narrow down by like what state it go, it's gone through. Like maybe sort a few of, hundred it's, kilometers it's or something. Like if you um, look at an isoscape, it will show you the general region. It's not specifically what state. I mean, like it's not like I can be like this moth was exactly from Texas. <laughs> okay, <But> like, <laughs> like, that'd be cool. Yeah, but it's just like regions. Just get an idea of like if it's coming from the south or if it's coming where it's generally coming from. And why is that information important? What's well, the point of collecting that? Yeah, so they are um, pests, and they do um, manage to um, damage a lot of crops. So for us to know their migration, it is really important because then you would kind of give us an advantage. We would kind of know where they're coming from and like how they're coming here and like just getting more information on their migration. It would help us in pest management. So we can say uh, moth winter is coming and then prepare <laughs> and get ready for the army of yeah. moth. <laughs> I mean, the army from the south. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah. Potentially. I mean, they don't. Yeah, they don't overwinter here, so. <laughs> it's not a re- not a real winter. I guess it was a Game of Thrones reference. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe n- not everybody gets, but <laughs> but I'm, I'm presumably if it's a pest, then that, then it's really important for farmers that yeah, grow crops that definitely. that this moth uh, eats. They yeah. have to know yeah. whether these moths are coming. Uh, what corn. what can you do? Let's say you're a farmer, and uh, you know Dr. McNeil comes up to them and says, "I analyzed some moths in your area, and." They're going to be here, you know, in February. I don't know, making up a month. They're going to be a lot of them. An army of them are coming. So what do they do? <laughs> if you were to keep a lookout for them, um, you can, if you were to just look at the larva, like you just kind of need to do a check to see if they're around in your field or not. That helps a lot because, like, if you put a stop to them early on, you'll get less crop damage than if you were to just, like, be... I guess ignorant and just not check your crops. And, hmm. So if they're if somebody notices crop damage, how can they tell that it's this specific moth that's doing it? Um, the larva, if you look at it, it will have specific details that will look like an army one. So they would have to collect the larva. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically, they can kind of if that's like a big hint that they should um, take the next step and they should kind of try to either harvest earlier or kind of see weigh their options and see what's the so best is, thing to do. Is that a job that somebody has? Like, you know, <laughs> I'm, I, sure. uh, I'm a crop farmer and I found all these larvae and I got to go find someone to identify this thing so it can, they can tell me what to do about it or whether it's going to become a big problem. I'm not sure if there's a job, that, like, if there's someone that has a job of just like looking at if there's an army worm in huh. their crops. But I mean, it's not that hard to pick them out and like see because they are really detailed like if you look at one like you but i mean i'm not sure if there's a job out there so you you look at these moths very frequently now yeah <laughs> you must have gotten uh, quite cozy with them mm-hmm. um <laughs> so what do you think of them do you, do you enjoy working with the moths or how do you <laughs> uh, yeah. would you want to do that as a job if it were a job <laughs> i don't know you know it's funny because um at first when I started to work with the moths I don't know maybe it's just me but like my instinct is was at least if I saw an insect I just want to like kill it (laughs) oh no (laughs) I mean I mean not kill it but like it's just it's an automatic reaction like if if um if something's flying towards you, like you just kind of you know, swat it. Want to smile, <laughs> away, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So, so I was the same thing. Like when I started taking care of the moths, like I had that, um, and I was, it was just if I if they were flying towards me or if I'm like cleaning their cage and like they land on my hand, I would freak out a little bit, <laughs> um, even though I knew they couldn't hurt me or anything. But like I mean, after working with them more and more and more, I've become so much more comfortable and they just like it's like I'm just more comfortable like if they fly towards me I don't mind if they sit on my hand I don't mind are they creepy bugs freak me out bugs freak you <laughs> out. um no you you learn that they're actually pretty cute <laughs> they can't hurt us or no, anything no, no, no. <laughs> no um I mean it sounds like almost the, maybe this the whole mentality has uh, has has bled out like are you less creeped out by bugs in general now? You just kind of like bugs? I definitely am. And, like, I I used to think 
that they're not cute, but now I just like <laughs> after spending so much time with them, they're your friends. <laughs> they're my friends. I I feel like they're really cute. Like if you actually look at them, they're. You, so um, I don't know how many you how many moths you have, but it's, is each moth because you were saying I guess it was a problem. Moth would come at you and you'd swat it. And, oh no! Now my, one of my moths is gone. I mean, if I have if I have to swat a fly. I've got so many that yeah. I do. I still swat them, no problem. <laughs> it's not. I haven't gotten rid of that instinct instinct yeah. yet. Although I do, I do think Drosophila are cute. Uh, but <laughs> biased. But you guys are biased. I, I thought they were cute before I started this project, but oh, so I mean, sure. it's a bit different. Um, but uh, do you re- do you have to keep track of every individual? Like, are you really cozied up with individuals? <laughs> That's moth number. 307 307 <laughs> so cute <laughs> no. um no well the ones when i started it wasn't my experimental moths that i was working with it was um it was just the uh lab colony moths so it didn't really matter how much i like how many i killed i guess because we have so much um with my experimental moth though um I guess I didn't get to that point that I'd be like, oh, this is moth number, I don't know, 237. I love you so much. Um, but like... And you probably really have to cherish the ones that you've collected, yeah. right? Oh, I, you have no idea. <laughs> In total, I did get 30 moths just for spring immigrants, but only 15 of them made it. So those are the ones that I really cherish. I'm like, thank you so much for mating. Like, I love you so much. Like, <laughs> what, what happened to the rest? They just wouldn't mate. Um, they either were brought into the lab and then they, they died right away or um, they just wouldn't mate and they would just die. Like so, Because like a lot of them that we collect from the field, we don't know what age they are. We don't know what their condition is. and so Or how many times they've already mated. Exactly. Right? So like we don't really know mm. if a female would even accept them. But I guess I guess to be more generalizable, this is why you have to go to the wild moths and grab them instead of just using presumably the same species, but that's been kept in a lab for yeah. some generations. Exactly. How long have you had, has Dr. McNeil Um. So the had... colony, the ones that we have right now, we have 2015, 2016, 2017, and now 2018. You start new colonies every time they collect every year? Yeah, and uh, we add those moths also to the old colonies just to keep the genetics um, oh. you know interesting cool introduce new genes and like so that there's that's like, a very dr mcneil thing to do it is, it is. <laughs> um and yeah and then we have some red eye moths but they're um they're really old um i don't think we've introduced any new genetics into like any genes into those and then we have some from vancouver oh cool like, yeah bc yeah that's awesome Ariel's hometown. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. How did those, those were like brought, or they didn't yeah. like they don't migrate like that, no, do no, they? No, no. So last summer there was a breakout in BC, and um, and yeah, and then we just uh, got a couple of them shipped to us, and then yeah. That's pretty awesome, actually. I, I remember you told me you're going to a conference or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in Vancouver Excellent. coming up, are yeah. you excited for that? What's that about? Um. So it's the conference for entomological society of canada and it's a annual meeting um but it's a joint meeting with the um american society and so yeah i'm really excited it's 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 my first conference are you presenting at the conference just a poster okay um yeah but cool. I'm, I'm more excited to see the talks the other talks that are going to be there and 
I mean, it sounds, it sounds like it's going to be fun. I think this is something that's kind of cool about grad school is that you get these opportunities to go mm-hmm. places mm-hmm. and see people's work and then, you know, talk to other people doing similar work. Um, I would love to just find someone who is also doing the same work as me. Because it's so specific. It's like, like, is there a lot of other people doing this type of work? And, like, have they looked at something I, similar? I haven't exactly seen anyone or um, come across any papers that talks about using isotopes and spermatophores. Um, so it would be really interesting to maybe see if somebody else kind of had this idea but never maybe um, acted on it. I bet, I bet you there's a whole moth community out there, <laughs> a moth studying Probably. community out there. Probably. Yeah, that you could get in touch with. Okay, so you've told us a little bit about, you know, um, this conference that you're going to go to and how you're excited to meet people that maybe work on something similar to what you do, but you want to hear from these talks that, you know, good speakers talking about, you know, professionals in their field. What about you? Maybe one day you're going to be a professional in your field and do a talk like this. Uh, what Have you thought about maybe what your plans are? Uh, you said you're going to graduate, you know, within a year, right? Yeah. So uh, what's next for Ida? Um, <laughs> you know, my parents ask me this question every single morning. <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> and they're like, what do you want to do with you? Um Right now, I feel like I just want to finish master's. That's like my main goal, to just finish master's. Um, Not that I'm not enjoying it. I am enjoying it a lot. But I really feel like I just need a little bit of a break. And I just need to maybe travel a little bit. And then kind of come back and see what I want to do. But I was um, looking for, looking at, working at Butterfly Conservatories and... Yeah, really wow. cool. Niagara, which is really catching my attention. I have been there. Me too. Yeah, yeah it was really amazing. Nice. You know, I've never been there. Really oh! <laughs> I, I really, my mom, I remember going to Niagara, and my mom was like, we're going to go to this place. And I was like, well, all right, butterflies, whatever. Like, we'll go. I go in, and I was like, oh, I was like a kid in a candy store. There's so many in amazing. there. amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm totally jealous. But, uh, no, I haven't been. In terms of, like, comparing different moth species, I mean, we talk about butterfly. I mean, it might be hard to compare every feature, but what do you look for in differences? Are there differences, like... <laughs> between a butterfly and a moth? I mean, you said you maybe you can... Is that how... How do you tell the difference between between species is it just by looks or is there other ways i mean i'm sure there's other ways you can do molecular genetics for example to see what's the oh, difference okay. and stuff but i mean um it is mainly by by looks like wing pattern um size um also matters like if you look at a sphinx moth like it's pretty big um compared to like my moth which is like pretty small um for example my moth has this distinctive dot like white dot on its wings and uh, at the tip of its wings it also has its four four wings it has this uh, black line that kind of gets a, takes it apart from others that you can kind of see but like if you look at other moths there's like different characteristics that you can just tell just by looking at the wings so, yeah. cool I mean I imagine back in the day so to speak when 
we didn't really know about genetics at all and maybe didn't know anything about evolution either and they wanted to classify different species. They probably had a heyday with moths and, yeah. and butterflies because they have all those cool patterns. And yeah. It's just funner probably to to classify moths and butterflies than it is to do, I don't know, wolves, probably harder. Yeah. <laughs> they just all look like teeth and angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's cool. I imagine one day you're going to have a little collection. Or is that a faux pas amongst uh, moth um, and insect uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> researchers? researchers? You know, that's like, like, imagine this little pin on the wall. Like, is that you're not supposed to do that? It's like besmirching no. the name of the moth. <laughs> no, um, I'm actually taking Dr. McNeil's um, fourth year course. It's entomology. And, um, and I actually have an insect collection. So... As a part of our lab, we have to have uh, 15 specimens, and we have to have them ID'd, and we have to c collect them. And um, like a couple of uh, people in my class have mantids in their collection, which is pretty cool. I really wanted a mantid, but I didn't catch one. So that's uh, that's kind of cool. I mean, I've actually seen when we go to the barbecue, we often walk astray and see them. So they're there. Yeah. I don't know why. I've never really saw any praying mantis. Praying mantis and mantid, those are similar, right? I don't know. I'm not really sure. I'm just imagining those little clawy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a little. Praying arms. Pray, yeah, praying. Yeah, I guess praying. that's why it's called praying mantis because they're praying, right? Yeah. And then they kill each yeah. other <laughs> sometimes. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Even they're mating. The uh, female kills the male. During yeah. mating? After mating. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Gotta, she she gets Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I gotta get that spermatophore, right? <laughs> I mean, maybe they have spermatophores too, right? <laughs> so you've collected all of your data for your master's, you said, right? Yeah, I'm doing, I'm still doing a couple more, um, not exactly experiments, but I'm doing a little more analysis. Okay. I have to do more, a couple more analysis on my, on what I have. So can you give us a sneak peek into what you found so far, or is that uh, I, something for the future? Yeah, so basically I found that you can detect deuterium, like the level of deuterium in a spermatophore. So um, if you rear a true army war moth on a spike, which is basically saying that um, the diet, the larval diet had a high amount of deuterium inside. Um, so if you rear them on... Um, larval diet that spiked and also adult diet that spiked, you will see that the spermatophore itself will also ha have some level of spike to it. Um, and from that, I've actually worked out that there's a female contribution to the spermatophore itself. So when the spermatophore is being transferred to the female, um, it's not solid, it's like liquid, and it's going into her reproductive organ and whatever she has inside is also mixing like it's it's going to be a moist environment inside her organ reproductive organ so um that is also getting being mixed to make the spermatophore itself there's like a, at least like 10 to 13 percent contribution from the female which is kind of really nice because that means the majority of the spermatophore is coming from the male that is going to help us be more precise on whether we can use it to um, see where his natal origin is. And is this something that has been found in the past, or is this like a novel finding? Um, not that I've found in literature. Okay, um, cool. I mean, it's kind of cool. There are papers that talk about amino acids and like how 
amino acids are being incorporated into the spermatophore. But um, I haven't exactly found like a specific study that looks exactly like this yet. Um, yeah. I think. I mean, I think it's really cool how how different that is. I guess from the the human or I think mammalian. All mammals really have mm -hmm. no, not really any contribution like that. No mm -hmm. spermatophore type thing. It's just, it's just uh, her, basically right? genetic material in a little sack, and they give the DNA, and then they're done. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's call it a day, right? No, <laughs> yeah. no support. Yeah. Yeah. So the so, what do you think the why do you think it's different? Why why do they need a spermatoform or all that all that stuff in it? What's that? what's the use um, of that? It could. De I mean, there's um, there's a lot of debate regarding that. Um, but it could it's could be a form of parental investment because so so we I mean I'd like to think that, uh, we are monogamous like humans generally right. It's but, a lofty um, thought, but go for it. <laughs> generally <laughs> but they're not they're not monogamous so the female can mate up to like with anybody and will they ever mate together like twice they could but i mean they the chances are so low okay she said they're, she so said they're not like, monogamous so <laughs> totally but, could yeah, right yeah. but it's it's like so low like because because they meet and then they just kind of go the branch road. off <laughs> like the odds of them coming into contact again yeah, are probably pretty low. So low but um they don't hang out at the local lamp yeah. <laughs> apparently not apparently not no schmoozing yeah. no moth schmoozing but um but yeah so i i guess with the spermatophore it's um it's not just the sperm it's the sperm and also other nutrients um that the female can use for her herself and also the eggs that, that she makes. So, so is it the the more she has, the healthier she is? Um, I don't know if you can say that exactly. It all it all depends. Like it's all con conditions. Like it depends on how much food she's had. Like if she's if she's uh, if she hasn't been fed that much, or like if she hasn't had that much to eat, then she's gonna be less picky than. Oh, okay. Gonna make I, okay. I, gotcha. I imagine that question would be harder to answer considering you're getting wild and you don't know how old they are already. Yeah. So how do we know how, how their effect on its effect on aging and is there any way health health span? I don't. You'd probably have to do that within your colony. So yeah. So like, okay. So I'm gonna use um, one of Dr. McNeil's analogy. So Joyla, you are a female and you're sitting here, <laughs> and Ariel's here, and so is. Our producer Greg. Um, so, let's say you have a million dollars. Would you care how much Ariel or um, Greg have in their bank account? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't think about it in a human way. <laughs> if I was a moth, hmm. You were a moth. I mean, come on. Like, humans are the only ones that really care about money. Right? Presum presumably, she doesn't because a million's enough, right, exactly, Joy? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That's right. You really care. But let's say you had, um, you only had 10 bucks in your bank account, and like you have Ario, which has $100, and then Greg, who has like five bucks. Who would you pick? <laughs> Ariel. Exactly. Sorry, Greg. For you more, right? <laughs> uh. So it's the same thing with moths. Um, if she's not, like, if she's, if she doesn't have that much, if she hasn't been fed, like, if she is in an environment with a lot of stress and there's not a lot of food, 
She'll take what she can get. Exactly. She's going to take what she can get. I mean, it's not exactly eating your partner, but in a way, it's getting fuel from them. So. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is. Yeah. Well, um, on that note, uh, I think we are just about out of time. Yeah. Uh, but it was great to hear about your work. Thank you. And I'm glad that you're doing so well in your program and you're almost done and you're uh you know, gonna gonna finish up soon. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, good so luck. Fun. Good luck getting ready to defend and everything. Thank you. Thank it's exciting. You. Appreciate it. Okay, so uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, this has been GradCast, the official podcast and radio show for the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. If you're listening to us on the radio, then you'll already know that we are on CHRW 94.9 FM at 6 p.m. every Tuesday and sprinkled about at other times during the day at CHRW as well. Um, You can listen to us streaming online at our website, gradcast.ca. If you so choose, you can also download any of the apps that have uh, podcasts available on them. That's iTunes, Google Play, wherever podcasts are available. Look for Gradcast and a purple logo and we'll be there. We're also recently on Spotify. People have been listening on Spotify. Spotify is great. We're on there as well. All our our episodes are available there. If you want to come on the show and sit where Ida sat today uh, and come meet us and tell us about your work, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. And if you want to be a host on the show and sit where I'm sitting, that's a position available as well. So you can email us at the same place there. And that's our show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.